You're listening to Healthcare Heroes, a radio play that explores what it means to be a hero in the time of the pandemic. For those new to verbatim theater, the genre uses real topics, often from the news, but the source can be anywhere, and looks at these topics from the lens of the theatrical. In this era of alternative facts, a term coined by a formerly appointed person in government, I present to you some alternative lies for your listening pleasure. At its heart, I explore what it means to be a hero and who deserves to be called one. I encourage you to listen using your headphones. We'll get right into our show after our signal announcement, coming up before this hour's news. This is WHRC Philadelphia, WNAC 89.7 Atlantic City, WCMC 90.3 Cape May Courthouse, WMHK 89.9 Manahawkin, and WBLN 88.1 Berlin. Live from the Central News Agency in Philadelphia, I'm Mark Hemley with this hour's local, national, and international coverage. This weekend marks the 100th day of protest in Seattle, Washington. Protesters clashed with the police this time, with five people sustaining injuries. Seattle Police Chief Carmen Best released a statement explaining the incident is under investigation. In Oregon, several fires are burning near Portland. There are dozens of fires burning in the state, with more than 8,000 acres charred and many homes razed. Recent weather changes overnight have helped firefighters battle the blazes, but residents are hesitant to get back into some areas to assess the damage. For one family who has stocked thousands of dollars of food and dry goods for the concurrent pandemic, that's all gone. Officials say they won't know the total extent of the damage until they get to the heaviest burned-out areas for a more complete search. This past weekend, an estimated 30,000 people marched through the streets of the Belarusian capital Minsk in opposition of their newly elected leader, Alexander Lukashenko. They are calling for him to resign, amidst numerous allegations of voter fraud. Mr. Lukashenko is insisting that he won 80% of the vote in free and fair elections. Police have reported to have detained 700 people. Supreme Court Justice Ruth Bader Ginsburg has died of complications due to cancer. She was 87 and surrounded by her family in her Washington, D.C. home. She is best remembered for her 27 years of service to the Supreme Court as one of its liberal justices, where she was a bastion of advocacy for the rights of the marginalized. This weekend saw remembrance vigils held outside the Supreme Court in honor of the woman whose notoriety was only matched by her passion and grace. In her home state of New York and across the country, flags will be flown at half-mast until she is interred. In sports, football has started its regular season with the stadium looking and sounding a little different this year due to an executive decision by the NFL that there will be no spectators at any of the games. This weekend, the Philadelphia Eagles will take on the team with no name, the Washington football team. Head coach Ron Rivera of the football team says that they're looking to rebrand themselves by their wins rather than their name, and are looking to start this season strong. The Eagles host them at the link this Sunday at 2 p.m. And that's all for this hour's news.
Heavy is the soul of the hero. They are called to a higher purpose, and yet they must retain their humanity or run the risk of destruction by pride. Pride is the Icarus to the son of our desires. To start with this journey into healthcare, I seek to define the word hero. And in that definition, I also seek to find the clarity of the picture I paint of the heroes of healthcare, the people whose stories I depict on tonight's show. There were so many stories to choose from, and so many of them are still waiting to be told. As you may already know, our style here is classic, and I still take your calls and read your letters. You wrote to me with such verve when I asked you to share your stories of heroism and the challenges that accompany that title. The struggle for me is not only in the choosing, but in the telling. When we tell the stories of others, we risk clouding their lens with our own perspective sometimes. I will tell these stories with fidelity and courage. The people you will hear about tonight are multifaceted, as we all are. The burden of heroism, though, lies with them alone, or does it? You will hear of the frontline worker who worked tirelessly at one of the epicenters of the pandemic, the politician who made difficult decisions for their small town, placing safety over the economy, and vice versa. The current crisis brought another underlying crisis to a head, causing America to reckon with its racist praxis. The heroes who have emerged will get their day in that segment. There are the everyday heroes, who have kept the privilege safe while risking their own lives. And finally, we will pay tribute to an artist who is the truest, real-life, larger-than-life hero for many. And all this stems from my own curiosity of the sacrifice and the presence in communities and the real sense of power and responsibility that comes with being a hero. Will I find the answer I am looking for? Will you? Let's turn now to our frontline worker, the vanguard, the hero who didn't ask for that moniker, in the doctor's own words. Our first segment comes with this word of caution. We bring up the topic of suicide as a point of discussion and awareness. If you find this segment uncomfortable or unbearable, you are welcome to skip to the next one. And if you ever find yourself in trouble, please reach out for help. Our first story today comes from the epicenter. Which epicenter, you may ask? I can take you there the only way I know how, imaginatively. And by the time our story's music is through, you may have a clue. Our first hero wrote to us earlier this year, and we have kept in touch since. So this is a snapshot of a hero in time. As always, the names are changed to protect our heroes' civilian identities. She writes, I was assigned one mask for the week, with the possibility of extending it to one month if the state's shipment deal fell through. I'm the front line of the front line. Pulmonary critical care. Our shifts were extended 
but who knows who made that decision to make me and the team more tired and less sure in our judgments. But few had memory of the before times, when even exhaustion was something I could feel. Now there was this sense of numbness when the shift was over. It might have been the tightness of the face shield and the now reusable N95 I was assigned in a brown paper bag with my name on it, Dr. C. I think the real tension has been playing out in public because we aren't entirely sure of how much PPE is enough to be protected. March will soon be April and the consensus is still out. Should my neck be exposed? Should my hair? Are gowns effective? Should I burn my scrubs after each shift? New York City is often described as the cultural melting pot of the world. If this is true of New York City, then the borough of Queens would be the sweet spot in the middle of the pot where the melting converges. Unfortunately, it's also the epicenter of the epicenter. It started with mild coughers at first. Mildly ill COVID patients lying in rows. Will they be transferred to the inpatient service by the end of my shift? Will they be transferred at all? I shuddered to think of that alternative. Then there's oxygen assistance. The air of the hospital itself is relieved of its duties and saved for the sickest of the sick who are elsewhere in the hospital. The critically ill are on ventilators, intubated. I've intubated three of them myself in the last two hours. Queens has 1.5 beds per 1,000 people compared to 5.3 in Manhattan. We fill up quickly, with even longer wait times than usual. End quote. I read an article that called doctors and nurses the superheroes of our age, as they risk their lives to save others. I acknowledge that, but isn't that what they've been doing since time immemorial? It's only more noticeable now because in the age of stories, there must be heroes and villains so society can make sense of it all. In this cancel culture, we have to cancel the virus. And all this makes me wonder, if they are the heroes, is our healthcare system the villain? She writes, how is the richest healthcare system in the world managing this so poorly? And what happens when we get sick? The other critical care fellow is on a ventilator on the MICU floor. I don't know if he'll make it. It'll be the second death if... I don't want to think about it. The first physician who died wasn't due to COVID, but to... They did... They completed suicide. And she was so strong. The strongest among us. I don't know what happened. It was too overwhelming for, for all of us. I don't feel that way. I just feel so tired and a bit numb. Here at the hospital, she was given a small memorial where no more than four people were able to attend, socially distanced. 
How is that a hero's send-off? I've been asked to write my will. I'm 32. How sobering is that? I've never thought of myself as invulnerable, not consciously anyway. But no one is immune. My message to your listeners is to stay home, if you can, and wear a mask. I'm not the hero here, at least not in the way I want to be. I just want my bed, and for someone to get me fresh PPE. The real heroes are my patients, mostly immigrants, working the jobs that are keeping the country from falling apart right now. Working from home means nothing to a cab driver or subway train operator or the stalker at the grocery store. I want to see them as they were, not as they are. I see no one in the streets when I walk home. I'm only here until the end of my fellowship, and this was not the way I envisioned winding down my learning. I bought a house in Arizona. I'm moving there this summer. Fingers crossed this pandemic doesn't follow me. End quote. For our listeners out there, what do you think it means to be a hero in these times? Is there a hero you would like to recognize? In what way are you a hero? Drop me a line at 215-839-6542. You might hear your voice on the air. We'll be right back after a short break. If you or someone you know is thinking about suicide, the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 provides free and confidential support 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. That's 1-800-273-TALK. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline is a national network of local crisis centers that provides free and confidential emotional support to people in suicidal crisis or emotional distress. They are committed to improving crisis services and advancing suicide prevention by empowering individuals, advancing professional best practices, and building awareness, especially now in the time of physical and social distancing. 1-800-273-TALK. Politics, at its heart, is the will of the people. Democracies thrive on the rule of the majority, with the opportunity for every citizen to express their opinion. Our next hero of healthcare is the politician, and while it may seem odd at first to think of healthcare and politics as this interconnected sphere, the relationship is evident on the level of policy. And it is indeed policy, or the lack of a cohesive national framework, that appears to have a deleterious response to the pandemic. While no national policy for addressing COVID-19 currently exists, local municipalities have responded out of necessity. They've been doing their own level of triage and assessing the health of their communities. Our second story is a tale of two pandemics. We have two mayors who wrote in with different perspectives on their handling of the issue of balancing their economy and their citizens' health in a delicate dance. First, we visit a small college town in upstate New York whose mayor has a deep understanding of that connectedness. He writes, quote, If students don't come back in the fall, we're in real cataclysmic trouble. This was his admonition, his assessment after months of data and stringent measures in a city whose $3 million budget deficit was closed under his tenure, while lowering taxes. 
his re-election campaign saw him winning 89% of the vote of his community, and his work has been tireless in pursuit of the goal of service to the people of Utica. To be voted in with such a swath of support is one thing, but the real work begins when elected officials have to answer to the people for the promises they make on a campaign. He continues that real leadership is action, and part of that action is in decision-making. The pandemic brought some tough decision-making to this town of barely 30,000 inhabitants, like many small towns across the country. How do we progress? Which is the right way? I seek to understand this myself. The political argument of economy versus health outcomes makes similar claims. Livelihood, the ability to make one's living, or the life and health necessary to do so. This mayor chose the latter, and a county thrived for it, with zero resident deaths, two non-resident deaths, and 327 positive confirmed cases as of Labor Day weekend. How, though, will he square with the looming budget shortfall, $15 million by his own estimation? And what will happen if the students of this college town do not return? These are real worries that weigh heavily on our hero. In the predominantly Republican town of Ashdown, a few hundred miles west and south, the priorities are different. There, the local municipality decided that it would be better to place equal value to their livelihood and their lives. Things run as close to normal as we can reason, their mayor writes, and our response has been more targeted. There was only one infection in the last few weeks, and that person was quickly identified, isolated, and recovered. A success story. The younger people in the town pump gas for the elderly to reduce contact. I work within the department store, and we made a tough decision to cut the staff in half for safety. It makes the work a little more challenging, but we didn't fire anybody. It's a rural, close-knit society, with the heir of their elected official who also made an equally tough decision to keep the town open. There was too much at stake in straining our economic growth, he continues. Is it a failing of a politician if he acts on the authority of his constituents, even if it's an action that someone, as an outsider of that municipality, might not agree with? If it's aligned with the will of the majority in the town, doesn't that mean democracy is still working? He continues by saying, my constituents will probably go for the Republican candidate again. But sometimes I think that the national conversation is so divided in what folks believe is right, while for me, as a local politician, I have to handle the day-to-day -day of what's right for the people I serve. Anyway, thanks for hearing me out.
Trayvon Martin, Tamir Rice, Michael Brown, Eric Garner, Darian Hunt, Philando Castile, Rayshard Brooks, Dominique Remy Fells, Troy Hodge, Nina Pop, Tony McDade, William Green, Dion Johnson, Rhea Milton, Ahmad Arbery, George Floyd, Oluwatoyin Salo, Brianna Taylor. The pandemic has brought to the fore another chronic virus of society. For decades, there was only one, the national underlying condition that came to the surface in the form of microaggressions, of denials of experience. For this segment, I took to the streets in the midst of protests in Philadelphia, where healthcare workers took a knee in front of Hahnemann Hospital. Doctors, nurses, medical assistants, medical students, all came together, spaced six feet apart, and knelt in silence for eight minutes and 45 seconds. Many brought pillows to ease their knees. The protesters stretched around two sides of Hahnemann Hospital. All of the Broad Street and the Vine Street sides had spaces occupied. Then came the march. One of the lead organizers of the protest made their argument against All Lives Matter, claiming it was a form of denial. He wrote to us, saying, quote, I thought of all the lives that were claimed before their time and the movement that now follows. They are heroes because they can be considered martyrs. If I read all of the names within the last decade, that could have been the entirety of your segment. And, like martyrs, their name has become the foci for the rallies and cries for justice. Danielle Butler writes in her piece, published in The Hood Communist, titled, On Brianna Oluwatoyin and Posthumous Iconography of Murdered Black People, saying, quote, In death, Brianna and Toyin are queens. They are angels. They are saints. They are cover girls and muses. They are regal and chic and beautiful. They are merchandise. They are screensavers. They are profitable. Their stylized images afford them a bizarre posthumous social capital they were denied while they were alive. They are everything but done justice. For the protesters, for all who march for justice, one person is reason enough to march. What about dozens, hundreds, the protesters that day marched for the names they knew and the names that will forever be lost to history because their story was not made public. And through it all, what does it mean to be a black healthcare worker? What does it mean to be a black medical student? 
black Americans have been wearing masks for centuries. They have been wearing the masks of pleasant demeanor in meetings. They have worn masks on both the giving and receiving end of health care in front of their non-black peers. Their work and their burden as a hero are compounded. We'll be right back after this. This is Healthcare Heroes. Support for Healthcare Heroes is provided by National Muffin Day, a philanthropic food holiday that helps people who are experiencing homelessness. Over 1,000 muffin tiers, volunteer bakers, have baked more than 25,000 muffins in more than 40 cities for the past six years. For every baker, we donate money to causes that help people who are experiencing homelessness. It is celebrated in late February or early March. To learn more, follow us on Instagram or Facebook with National Muffin Day or go to nationalmuffinday.org. When you think of the heroes of healthcare, your mind's eye may conjure the most identifiable face of a doctor or a nurse or any other significant member of the medical workforce, for example. When I think of workers considered essential, I think of the workers who get us to the places we need to go. Transit workers, facilities and waste management, delivery and hospitality. Theirs is a heroism born in silence, often like sidekicks to the main attraction. They didn't choose their livelihood because of the inherent risk of pandemic exposure, and yet they choose to stay. The pandemic has helped to redefine the service industry in many ways, like hazard pay and increased scrutiny of factory practices. It was homeschooling that brought the epiphany for many parents of what teachers actually do compared to what they make. But has it changed the fears? And if so, in what way? What are those fears service workers currently experience? The stress of the unseen enemy. That is the toll on our essential heroes. Back in March and April, when the rush for goods determined essential led to empty shelves, essential workers were working even longer hours in restocking and fulfilling the orders of the privileged. We sat at home, fuming, that we could not go out, when in those early months going out could have indeed been a death sentence for the immunocompromised. For some, like Miss B, who disclosed she has an autoimmune disease, she wanted the work. I asked for a happy memory, and she wrote to me saying that, quote, I love that the route was always the same. One time, there was a storm coming, and I didn't have a lot of time, but I made sure that the last child was in their home before I took shelter. They called me on the radio, Miss B, Miss B, you have to seek shelter now. Get to the shelter. Shelter in place. And I did. I want to get back on that bus every day, she continues, but there's no point in rushing things if it's going to kill a bunch of people, end quote. And for school bus drivers like Miss B, who worry equally, if not more so than the teachers, which is the worse fate? To risk contracting the virus from an asymptomatic student or to not have a job at all? What would contracting the virus mean for their livelihood, for their life? Cities like New Haven have ensured that school bus drivers were paid through the spring through an executive order. I'm curious to know now what the fall will bring for these workers. It is no longer an expectant experience of spending time with children and which drives their desire to be involved in their lives in this way. Now there's a creeping sense of dread, feelings of anxiety, and for many, even of hopelessness, in returning to the way things were. 
that may never be the case now. I hope, too, that these times redefine the meaning of essential. I thought the 7 p.m. clamor was such a nice touch, but I made a note. It was June 16th, to be exact, when I could no longer hear the noise at night. It was also the weekend. There was some slight relaxing of restrictions, and people could start dining outdoors. With lives grasping for some semblance of the old normal, it was no mere coincidence. The essential workers are falling from their pedestals. And yet, I won't forget. Your lives are far from ordinary. We're completing a long climb. One first experiences dizziness, disorientation, and shortness of breath due to the high altitude. But once you become accustomed to the climb, your mind opens up to the tranquility of the triumph. Oftentimes, the mind is flooded with realizations that were for some reason harder to come to when you were at a lower elevation. At this moment, most of you need some realizations because right now you have some big decisions to make. Right now, I urge you in your breath, in your, in your eyes, in your, in, your, in your consciousness, invest in the importance of this moment and cherish it. I, I know some of you might have partied last night. You should, you should celebrate, but this moment is also part of that celebration. So savor the taste of your triumphs today. Don't just swallow the moment whole without digesting what has actually happened here. King T'Challa, whose civilian alias is Chadwick Boseman, died on August 28th of this year from complications of late-stage colon cancer. He was 43, and in his short life, he played many roles for which he will be remembered. The one in particular that I wanted to talk about today was his role as the Black Panther. We've spoken of the hero in many forms on the show today, but what about the superhero? I will wait for you to conjure up the image of Black Panther in your mind. Was it his own personal regality that made his performance as king so compelling? He's the ultimate measure of the superhero trope in movies and the comic series from which the movie was made. The superhero's struggle is humanity's struggle magnified. There are so many questions I can't ask him now, but I wondered how he bore both his illness and the dedication to his craft with such grace and poise. I usually dress up for the theater or the opera, and a trip to the movie theater as anything goes. But for this movie, like many other moviegoers, I was very intentional about what I wanted to wear. I remember wearing a suit with a black long sleeve shirt that bore an African print down the front and on the cuffs. This movie was special. We were going to meet a comic book king brought to the major screen. And it is an identity with which I will always associate the real-life superhero that was Chadwick Bozeman. Anyone can be a hero. Wasn't it Spider-Man that said that anyone can wear the mask? Well, anyone can also take that mask off and reveal their true self. That, in many ways, is even more heroic. The format for this show is different partly because of this story. Usually in talk radio, it's all about conversations between the source and the interviewer. As for their personal opinions on air, 
never the two shall meet, for the most part. But how often do you hear of their feelings? That sense of completeness gets lost a bit in the objectivity of news. But this is art, and art is always told from the vantage point of an opinion. Colorectal cancer is the fourth most common cancer in the United States, and the second leading cause of cancer death. Screening for colorectal cancer reduces mortality. The United States Public Service Task Force recommends an initial screen at age 50 in adults who are at average risk for colorectal cancer. Patients with first-degree relatives who have had colorectal cancer should begin screening earlier. It is preventable, treatable, and beatable, but you must catch it in time. And the more I think about it, Chadwick Boseman might even be a hero in death, because the way he died will mean something for future generations of black men, who will hopefully take this as a lesson to be learned, the king sharing his wisdom even in parting. Both this great loss and the pandemic may be the drive now for more black men to take their physical and mental health into their own hands even more. We are heroes too, black men. I see you. I hope you feel seen. And to borrow from King T'Challa, let us not swallow up this moment of our life whole, but elevate our consciousness and recognize that we are our brother's keeper. Thank you for tuning in to our show today. This is Healthcare Heroes, telling the stories of the heroes and superheroes who walk among us in a way that gives them honor has been a challenge and a pleasure. Heroes real and imaginary help to shape our lives and in many ways, our life choices. To end our piece today, I wanted to take a short quote from Joseph Campbell's The Hero with a Thousand Faces. A hero ventures forth from the world of common day into a region of supernatural wonder Fabulous forces are there encountered, and a decisive victory is won. The hero comes back from this mysterious adventure with the power to bestow boons on his fellows. And to all of you who tuned in today, I hope I have bestowed the boon of meaningful stories. Tonight's show has been produced, edited, sound mixed, directed, and voiced by Mark Hemley. Special thanks to Laura Mullen and Julia Levy, who voiced the two advertisements. The music and Foley were sourced from Epidemic Sound, a fitting name given the times we live in. This show has been provided free of charge. Please consider contributing to the following cause by using the Pass the Hat option that accompanies the online billing for Healthcare Heroes. 100% of the proceeds will be given to the Okra Project, an organization dedicated to improving the lives of black trans people by providing culturally specific meals, therapy, and resources. Their lives alone are a daily act of heroism. That's all for our show today. Thank you for listening. This is Healthcare Heroes.